You're listening to Raceru Radio, where fitness and racing are combined. Each week, you'll hear us bring you a fitness tip to help you with your fitness journey, as well as covering the latest current event news, covering NASCAR, Formula One, and sprint cars. We always have lots to talk about, so buckle up and take another lap with us. Thanks for listening, and you can always find us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Facebook, you can find our multiple updates every week at Raceru Racing, and you can find our fitness updates at Raceru Fitness. Enjoy the podcast with Ryan and Jordan. Here we go. It's Raceru Radio. Welcome back to another episode. We got a great conversation today. We're going to talk about Hendrick's big, big penalty and why it's probably not as impactful for them as you think. It's actually, I think, more impactful on colleague, and we'll get to that. Uh, we've also got uh, our fit tip, plenty to talk from about Phoenix and pain. <sighs> you know, yeah. but we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. So, the, like I said, this is uh, Racer Roo Radio. We are part of Racer Roo Fitness. I'm Ryan, and that's Jordan. Um, we provide fitness, workout plans, advice. Um, pretty much anything you could want to get started or continue your fitness journey, fitness journey, you can hit us up. Uh, we've got plans built in that are CrossFit-ish based in the functional fitness space. Uh, we can build you a plan custom based on your needs and what your plans are. So whatever your needs are, hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and at racerroofitness.com or right here on the podcast. Uh, Jordan, let's get started by how was your week? Uh, it's been pretty good so far. Um, you know, just work, work, work. But other than that, I got some awesome news and this goes with everybody who's interested in doing the fitness stuff. So I wanted to break this out on the podcast. I didn't even tell you yet. Um, so back when I first started this, I weighed myself, I was 243. That was afternoon, you know, wearing all work stuff. We have a scale there, so it's not to an accurate T, but this past Tuesday, I think it was this past Tuesday, might have been a little bit ago. I stepped on the scale wearing all my work stuff late in the afternoon and I was at 230. So nice. That's just in a couple of weeks. Um, it's been about a month. And I mean, I, I am changing my diet at the same time, but I can see it falling off already. Um, but already putting on the other stacks, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for people who are listening on audio, I just showed my arm and, you know, because supersets, it's kind of super big today. <laughs> so <laughs> He's got that pump going. He's got that pump going. Yeah. I, I told, uh, I told Miranda earlier, if I tripped and fell on my face, I wouldn't be able to push myself back up. <laughs> I just lay here. Just lay here. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, normal week for us down here. A little rainy today. I know you guys got rain up there, and we'll get to that in the dirty talk. Um, just uh, nothing real to touch in on except a um, little bit of Ironman training news. Uh, did a pool session today. <clears throat> and so I'm going to brag. I don't mean to brag, but it's kind of just a status update. So I know I keep hounding on it. When I first started this swim journey, I knew that I thought the swim was going to be the most important part for me just to get it done because I felt like it's just so critical. I just need to finish it. I just need to be able to get through the thing to be able to actually get into the race. 
I have now several times gotten the distance for half Ironman in. And so, which is 1.2 miles. Um, I've done that several times in the pool now. So today, what I tried to do, and I've done this, did this two weeks ago. Basically what I'm doing right now is I swim once a week. Uh, I probably should do more, but I'm more focused on that when I get into camp closer to the event. Um, but I swim usually Friday mornings. Uh, one week right now I'll do intervals and one week I'll do a long swim and I'll do like an over distance uh, right now because I've gotten to the point where I can swim that much. So now I'm working on going beyond that so that 1.2 miles seems easy. Um, I knew I could do it in under an hour. When I first started a couple of months ago, uh, I was only able to do breaststroke. I couldn't do front crawl for more than a couple laps. Had to work on that. Um, so me doing front or doing breaststroke would take, take me an hour, 15 minutes to do 1.2 miles. I would be lucky to get one mile in, in an hour, uh, which is actually kind of looking back. I'm kind of glad I didn't know because the cutoff is an hour, 10 minutes. <laughs> and so that would have been making me very nervous. So now I know I am consistently under an hour. I don't have to quite worry about that cutoff, um, but I am still trying to build the speed back in. But today was an over distance. Try to swim for an hour, which is what I did a couple of months or a couple weeks ago. Um, so I knew I could go beyond that. Uh, today, my plan when I got into the water, it was like 8.48, 8.47 in the morning. And so, I mean, you know, you know what? Instead of doing an hour, I'm going to progress progressive overload, see how it applies in cardio. I'm going to do more. So I'm going to, I don't know the percentage of it. I could probably figure it out, but uh, I was just going to go until it was 10 o'clock. So it'd be an hour, 12 minutes is essentially what it ended up being. <clears throat> so over the course of an hour, um, I swam my fastest 1.2 mile. Uh, it took about 51 minutes, which was nice. Um, my hour long was 2,500. Um, so between that, my warm up, um, and then the last 12 minutes, I start. I didn't really pay attention to the watch as I was doing it. I just kind of kept swimming. I'm focusing on technique and trying to make things better. Um, and I can see the difference in the pool. I can see that black line in the in the bottom going by faster, albeit not much faster. But uh, based on my 1.2 mile time today, I covered an additional four lengths of the pool over the course of an hour. So that's, that's something, you know, that's something in two weeks. Um, but then with the addition of the, that extra 12 minutes and the warm up, I looked at my watch when I finished and I was at 3000 yards, 3000 yards. So 1.2 miles is uh, 2,112 yards, if I've added that up correctly. <clears throat> so I was well beyond that, I was almost a thousand yards past that, uh, which is nice. And then in, on top of that, so I know one mile yards wide is like 1,680 yards. So in my mind, actually, I looked at my watch with about half a lap to go as I'm coming down. I just wanted to see where I was at. <clears throat> and so I saw that as about 3,000 yards. And I was kind of thinking that in my head as I was adding up where I was at. I'm like, you know, two miles, Keep in mind, I, I, my first time doing a mile swim was not even probably two months ago. I'm like, you know, two miles is maybe only another, I think four or five down and backs is what I figured out. 
It's like, I really could go do that now. I didn't because Zach had already been in childcare for almost an hour and 20 minutes. I didn't want to leave him there any longer than that. <laughs> but I'm like, you could go two miles. And then if you're going to go two miles, you might as well go the additional 4.4 and get the full iron distance. This is how I process. I went from getting the 1.2 miles in, looking at my watch being like 51 minutes. Dang, I was really hoping I was going faster than that. Kind of bummed out to you should do double the distance, do the full deal. So a little bit of a, you know, Jedi, or not Jedi, Sith Lord Kermit came in telling me to do bad things. But uh, all in all, good training session this morning. Um, still just need to work on some of that speed. I am not an efficient swimmer, but I think considering how poorly I am at swimming, I think I'm doing okay. So how far are you uh, about to swim through Ocean City's inlet and everything? I don't know that I'll do that. That is a dumb move. <laughs> that is dumb. Yeah, I would I would say. <laughs> but off the beach, would you be able to reach the buoy out there? Uh, I could. I don't know that I should. Also dumb. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That, yeah, I think the undertow out there, I think you're still going to get ripped into the, the inlet from there. That'd be, yeah. that'd be pretty rough. I mean, like, unless I, you're doing I, like, you could be doing lifeguard training. I thought they'd go out and swim around that buoy and come back. They might, but like considering the, the speed at which I'm going, I'm basically covering an average on my long swims of about um, for every 100 yards. So every football field, which is down and back in a 25 yard pool, two times. That's the one I use a 25 yard pool at the Y. So it's down and back twice. And I was hitting that at an average of like two minutes and 21 seconds. So to be where I want to be at, I need to cover that distance in 143. So that's a significant speed I need to go. Keeping in mind that I do know that the current is very, very fast to your back. Um, and actually, as, it, as inefficient as a swimmer as I am, and if I'm catching a lot of water, if I'm super not hydrodynamic, that might actually push, push me faster. So I might get a bigger advantage from that, to be honest with you. Um, we'll just have to see when that comes. But I, I, I've read some people who have done the Wilmington um, swim, and there were some people saying that they were improving their times by like eight minutes nine minutes so ultimately really what i'm trying to do is get down to about 45 so that way i can kind of okay well that'll put me under 40 so that's, i'm hoping uh, yeah that's a lot of swimming yeah that's a lot of and fast swimming considering considering that uh well I, I learned some things today and i know we're going to stay on this for a little bit this is a little bit of a swim tip from a not uh not a guy you should be listening to but what i was doing well what i was doing keep in mind when i'm swimming i'm swimming in a pool i do not all i have is swimming trunks but i don't have jammers i have like board shorts so they're going to catch a little water it's going to have a little bit more drag than you would if you're just wearing skin tight jammers um i'm not doing the speedo so, but when Come I, when on. I do the swim, nah, nah, I do jammers. I would definitely do jammers. But, um, the, the day of the race, I'm going to be wearing a skin tight tri suit, a skin tight wetsuit. So there's some drag taken out. The wetsuit gives you buoyancy. The salt water at, is a little more buoyant or like keeps you out of the water a little bit more. Um, and you know, also you're supposed to be wearing a swim cap. Not that I have a lot of hair, but there is, that's a, that's, 
a little bit, I guess. So there's yeah. a lot of things. The the thing that's working against my favor, it is an open water swim, and I'm not. It's a different environment, but yeah. there is a lot of factors that are going to play into my hands on race day. Uh, so long as the fact that I'm in open water doesn't really freak me out. <laughs> that's the thing. But like, still, like as I'm swimming, like. I'm learning more about like high, they say high elbow, which I thought was high out of the water. And I think it is like, you obviously don't want to push your hand through water to pull it back. It's less effective to push it through the water. That's a lot of drag through the water where you can get it up in the air and it's less drag. But when you come down, instead of just hit, and then I thought you wanted a nice long extension of your arm as your propeller. And instead you actually, they, that's what they call the high elbow is you kind of want to hinge it back to create more of a surface area on the bicep, through the arm. Whereas if you're doing this, you're not quite getting all of that. If you have it like this, it's more of a, more of a surface area to push and push and push. And so I, you, I could tell the difference in the speed when I'm looking down on that black line. As I'm coming to the end, I can see the little end of the black line and I get there quicker. And a couple of times I don't even really anticipate it right. I kind of actually over swim into the wall. I don't like hit it, but I kind of go, whoa, you know, and just have to stop real quick because I got there faster than I thought I was going to. That being what it is, it's still not that fast. Considering mm -hmm. I'm doing I, I'm doing this in like 51 minutes and there's guys that are doing this in 20. So, but <laughs> the, the big. The, it's the speed turn. That's what's slowing you down. Well, I don't do the speed turn because there's no, there's not going to be any speed turns in the wall in right, open right. water. But what I do, I will like touch, turn, and then give a little push off because it actually breaks your rhythm. I feel like the way I'm doing it because I don't flip and kick. I just touch, spin your body awkwardly around in the water, and then go. And for me, it actually, I, I have a real trouble with being able to the not the inability to breathe underwater, albeit with just a quick stroke it's you know compared to running where you're going <sighs> like that that constant in and out in and out that's what i can't do in swimming it's kind of actually messing me up and so i find that there's if like i have to push a little bit faster because i have to be able to get my head up to to breathe a little faster than i want so it's like when i go really slow my head's underwater for longer and I don't get that breath as much as I want. So it's really, it's, it's completely different dynamic and learning how this is going to sound silly when, when I say it, but learning that your arms propel you and your feet don't do that much, like push with your arms and then just let your feet kind of pedal you to keep you. Cause for me, if I just move my arms and I stop my feet, my feet come under me and I just, yeah, but if you just kick your feet, kick your feet, just, you know, just fast enough to keep your body up. You don't have to, because when I start doing this, this is when I get tired. I can push my arms just fine. This is fine. It's, it's this doing this little, but if it's pop, 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 and then let the arms work, that's probably when I was doing my best work. So it's, it's really a, it's a learning experience and trying to figure it out. And, uh, you know, there's definitely been gains, but it's, it's a slow process and I'm not, I don't really know that I'm going to get where I want to be just because 
I'm so inexperienced in this and I'm comparing myself to people who have more experience, but you know, why not? Why not try to push it to that? It's learning how to swim all over again. It really, it's, it really is. And every time you're like, oh, that's wrong. Then you got to relearn it. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, so but that's. You're, you're just training for the lifeguard training. You're eventually going to be one day. Yeah. I don't think anybody wants me to come save them. <laughs> that's it. Like for me to, for like to get more speed, I think one of the things I need to do now is be able to like breathe to the right, breathe to the left. It sounds like one of the, the better tempos is like, Breathe, stroke, stroke, breathe, stroke, stroke, breathe. But even that, like it's too too long in between. And breathing to the left is super awkward for me. Like to the right, I can kind of just tilt my head. Going to the left, my whole body goes like. And so it's 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 not symmetrical. It's very different. But I don't know. It must be a right-handed thing because I feel like the it, left would be easier. Yeah. Well, and that's a, it, very quickly. I get to a point where I am just every time my hand goes back, my right hand goes back. I'm coming up. So well, the, I need to the best be able to control that breathing better, and then be able to look to the left, which is going to be important too because I figured out the way we're going. Every like, if I'm breathing to the right, I'm going to be looking into the sun in the morning and I've got shielded goggles. That's all fine and everything. However, if it's a problem, I want to have the, the safety to be able to do the other thing I need to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, well, that, it could. That, that's why we like with the fit tip we normally get is to work on form. That's what you you're doing right yep. now. You got to work on form to make sure you can execute it. Like, you know, yep. I can't execute the uh, the Russian setup thing for my life. <laughs> I, uh, I have so much trouble doing that, but that's what you're doing. You're in the pool working on execution, working on form to make sure you can do either or. Um, and I mean, personally, probably the next time you're in the pool, maybe what you should do is just breathe left side. I mean, don't drown, but just that's... try and breathe left side. Get used to the habit of doing yeah. that. My intervals last week, so today, because it was much, much longer and it was going to be sustained pace, I didn't really want to work on that. But last week I did do like one length of the pool. I'll just do to the left. And it's funny because I feel like I'm flailing so much, but I have such a great pool. So I have a really good burst of speed. Like I'm faster doing that, but I can't, I wouldn't be able to do that more than about, you know, one full down and back. Like I will just bonk and just right down to the bottom. So it's it's definitely a work in progress. I was going to say, just to let you know, that's what a fish does when they get caught. <laughs> but if, we'll put it this way. If there's a shark in the water, they're going to be sensing that I'm in distress. 100%. 100%. Just, just uh, don't wear anything shiny. I'm shiny enough. Well, I, <laughs> guess, anyway. I guess your head will give it away. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, um, enough about me, I guess. So we're going to get into our real fit tip of the, of the day. And so I wanted to talk about, so I saw this on uh, Facebook. I, I think I mentioned it last week. I mentioned, I, I saw a person who I respect a lot, who I've trained under, make a comment. Now they own a business. 
they do know a lot about what they're talking about. I'm not going to lie. I do just disagree with where they're coming from a little bit. So what they said is about like people getting into fitness and trying to change their bodies in three months by only coming in two or three days where they really should be committing and coming four and five days into the gym. So now, well, I see you raising your hand, kind of, you're cutting out, but I'm not yeah. disagreeing with, with what they're saying. I'm not disagreeing that committing to a plan and having expert programming and coming in and doing that four and five days a week, it could lead, yield you better results than two days a week, two to three days a week. But you're, you're, the way that that happens is the obvious. Great programming, a super disciplined work ethic, not necessarily working hard every day, but super disciplined in a sense of, you know, using the correct exercises in a manner that is efficient for your body, getting enough sleep, and all like doing all of the things. Yes, that is absolutely true. But where I'm going to put pause on this, the average person getting back into fitness or getting into fitness for the first time, this is what tends to happen. They get gung-ho. I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit four, five, six, seven days a week. I'm going to be here. I'm going to work my butt off and I'm going to do every single thing I can to change my body because I really want to do this. And then two weeks later, they're like, I hurt so bad. I am so tired. I am dreading Burnout. Getting, getting into the gym. And, you know, two weeks is, is a little extreme, but not really. But, you know, two weeks, two months, that's why you see a lot of the people that new year, new me, they sign up and then right about, you know, end of February, March, you see those people disappearing because they get burnt out because it came in and hammered, hammered, hammered. But if you're a person that, and especially if you are in life, like the rest of us, you're working full time, maybe you have kids or just, you know, dogs, even dogs and cats, they're, they can still be high maintenance, high optic, but you still have a life and things to tend to. So is four and five days a week sustainable for you? For a person like me, for a person like even, you know, Jordan getting back into it, who has had an athletic background and has had that discipline working in football and everything like that. Yeah, you, you can get wrapped that in. It still gets tough. But for somebody who's never had that or has rarely had that, it gets very, very hard to continue to come in and do the right things every day. Not only that, but for the average person, are they really getting good programming? It's really hard to come by good program, so maybe not. Some of these people, are, the, are you coming in every day and getting the best workout that you can possibly get, or are you just going over to the elliptical and walking on it for 20 minutes? Why are you going into the gym to do that, especially if you hate it? If you're like, I can't stand this machine, but it's cardio, I have to do it. No. You can stay home and go for a walk and have a talk with your partner or walk your dog, or walk with your kids, and it not even feel like an exercise, and not feel like anything. 
So I get what they're saying. I'm agreeing with you. And especially if you're in a rapid need, a rapid change, are you more likely to have a change for four to five days? You can say this will do it. Yeah, I guess so. But for the average person who is going to be facing burnout, the average person who has other life responsibilities, two to three days, not only is it, could it be enough to keep you in the gym, it could yield you better results because you don't get that burnout because you can still come in and you can still work with that intensity every single time. You can get better doing it instead of crashing out and bonking at the end of the week and coming in early the next week, just like, oh, here we go and letting it drag on and on and on. So, but again, I agree with what they're saying in the right context. If you're a person who needs a change quickly, if you're a person who is training for an event, for something that you really want to do well, you want to do your best, are you going to get the best results taking some kind of effort and practice to that four and five days a week? Yeah, probably. But for the average people, for people who are not super into this thing, for people who are not in love with that process, two to three days, that's max. Let's get the best results that we can in those days. Let's take the time and focus on that and like start to cultivate a lifehood of fitness. That's my take. And, and to be 100% honest with you, I, I'm going to... I think I'm not going to agree. I think I'm going to disagree. I mean, yeah, going five days a week definitely will, I guess, get you results quicker, so to speak. But listen, I was raising my hand at the beginning of this because there's a lot of times I can only get to the gym three times a week. And that's just because of the way my work schedule is. Yep. I work long days and and that's just the way it is. But not only am I an example, but a guy I work with is the same example. Him and his wife go Tuesday, Thursday, or Monday, Wednesday, and then they usually throw in a Saturday if they can. And they've got kids, they got family. He works the same kind of schedule I do. They're doing three days. I'm doing three days. And the crazy thing is, he was riding with me this week, and we were comparing workouts with each other about what we do. And the kind of ironic part is he was in the 240s just as I was in the 240s and both of us in just a couple of months are down almost in the 220s I think he's in the 220s I could very well be there I'm not weighing myself in the morning and I'm not doing it religiously I'm doing it as I see fit but the difference is I'm not basing it off of what the scale says I'm basing it off of how I look how my body feels and I can tell I'm slimming down. I can tell I'm balking up. I can, I can feel it just in the stuff I was doing. Like last week, um, when I told you I was doing nature's gym and I picked up that tree, I probably wouldn't have been able to do that a month ago. And just in, just by doing your workouts for a month, month and a half, two months, I'm, I picked up a tree that I had no business doing. I'm doing the stairs as a cardio thing at the gym that a couple months ago, I had no business doing because trying to go up three of them, I'd be huffing and puffing. Now I'm sitting there 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and I'm going nice and steady on the treadmill. I know it's kind of a cheap way to walk, 
but I'm going nice and steady. I always incline it. I always set it up to a decent pace. I'm going nice and steady and I always increase it every time. So the argument that you have to go five days, I'm going to throw that to the side. Definite three days is, is fair enough. As long as you're putting in the effort, don't get me wrong. I would love to be at the gym five days a week because I feel like maybe my results in three days would almost double if I'm there five days or, or, you know, whatever, or I could space some stuff out a little bit more. But what I do is I put everything together. Like you gave me those workouts. It's a two day thing. But if I get there more than um, two days or three days, if I, I usually go three days and sometimes I do, I do one day then the other day, and then I'll either do cardio, and then I mix up the routine of both days, or sometimes I even get crazy thoughts, and I stack both days on top of each other. Um, I don't That's see really crazy doing, thought. <laughs> I don't see me doing that with the supersets, but then again, I might take some from you know the first day, some from the second day, put them together, take my favorite portions, or I might try something that's you know similar with triceps and triceps and biceps, I might mix them up in the workouts you gave me on the third day. But the point of the, the point that you're making is you don't necessarily have to go five days or four days or seven days to get results that you want. And if you're going to make a plan to do this, you're not just planning to go to the gym. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym and not change anything else. You're changing your lifestyle as it is. Much like me, I'm changing the way I eat. And it's helping a lot. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a struggle because there's days where you're like, man, I'm just so hungry. But once you get in the routine, then you can get yourself a little snack and you're satisfied and you can move on or you drink a little bit of water pretty quickly and you feel like you're filling up a little bit. I'm telling you, once you get that going to the right routine, you just eating one of those like protein bars that I have two of those a day. That's what I'm doing. One in the morning, one when I start feeling hungry and that's it. And I work long days. The rest is just water until I get home for dinner. Now today I was kind of feeling it because I didn't have those this morning and I went to the gym and did all that, all the supersets and everything. And I was like, man, I have like no energy. Yeah. So, yeah. So you got to make sure you give yourself energy. You can't completely not eat. But once you have that routine down, like you were saying, you're, it's not just going to the gym and saying, okay, here, I'm, I'm showing up. You're changing your whole lifestyle. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to go to the gym and be there and just tell people I'm at the gym because that's not going to change anything. That's not going to help you out. And if you go five days and you're doing what I'm doing, you probably will get burned out because you're not giving yourself maybe as much energy as you should. So definite, I say maybe three to four range, you know, mm -hmm. You, I'd be kind of like more of like a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday routine. Yeah. Give yourself three days. That's what I'd like to do. But sometimes it's just not the option. So three days works for me. Well, and can, to continue on that, you if you are brand new or getting back into it, um, it's, now it's okay. Maybe you're in a situation where it's like you, you do enjoy being in the gym. You generally enjoy being there. That's okay. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying it's hard to sustain. So maybe go in, have two or three days that are your work days. These are the days where I'm going to, I'm working hard. The other days I'm here, 
I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do something like we talked about. We're going to do a practice of a movement. The intensity is way down, but I'm practicing this, the function of this movement. I'm just connecting to a muscle. I'm just being like, hey, I'm you know, doing a fly. Hey, chest, you feeling that? You're feeling it right here, not up here, where a lot of people are going to feel that motion. I want to squeeze this muscle. That's mm -hmm. what I'm targeting. And so you can do other things that don't necessarily um, tax you or not super intense. Uh, maybe even just take a yoga class, a yin yoga class, where the intensity is very much down. Like now there is some kind of crazy yogas that there's a lot of intensity. So we want to avoid those on those days. But there's other things that have value besides beating the crap out of yourself. So yeah. Yeah. But that's, uh, yeah, that's my take on that. Um, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, but you always end up with a skinny cat. That was what one of my old math teachers used to say. And I believe that. So, you know, do what's right for you, but don't feel pressured into doing one because you think it'll get you more results. Often, a lot of times people that um, think that they're going to get more results because they push themselves in the gym five days a week, their results tend to diminish quickly because your body's always trying to be like, okay, we're trying to recover. We don't even get to the point of adaptation. So yeah. keep that in mind as, as you're going forward. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like I said, just giving you examples, me and that guy from work, I'm already down just in two months. I'm already down over 10 pounds. And like I said, starting to put on muscle, but I can see it in my body. It's not a, a scale thing. I'm not trying to look at it because I know when I look at it, when you start worrying about it so much, that's when you kind of slow yourself. So what I'm doing is just my own thing, but just I'm basing everything off my own body, not what a scale tells me, my own yep. body, how my own body looks at me. So that's just kind of the advice I can give you for that. <clears throat> All right. So that's our fit tip for the week. So we're going to move on to kind of going to move on to it is time for Dirty Talk with Jordan. And now it's time for Dirty Talk with Jordan, the part of the show where Jordan comes out and talks a little dirty. So without further ado, Dirty Talk with Jordan. All right, guys. So I have a lot to get to today. So I'm going to start it off by the outlaws are at Lincoln Speedway tomorrow up here. And that's it for Dirty Talk. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a simple breakdown. Uh, the outlaws were supposed to be up here at Port Royal last week canceled the outlaws were supposed to be at the grove tonight canceled um apparently now we're getting the april showers in march so it's raining all the time um hopefully it stops because by the time it gets to april we're camping so that's nor <laughs> there but um yeah right now hopefully tomorrow the outlaws get to run one race up here it'll be at lincoln speedway um they move their start time up to five o'clock there's a good chance I'm going to be in attendance, so I'll definitely have a, a lot of information about how the race goes. Um, but the interesting part, which I will touch on this since 30 Talk is so short, new right rear tires, actually new rear tires are coming out from Hoosier. Um, they're a new uh, compound and they're a new tread pattern. Um, so old tread patterns on the rear tires, you couldn't reverse them. So they were built in stagger. So the outside was like the outside of the tire was bigger than the inside of the tire. 
And if you put them on backwards, you're in for a bad day. Well, now that doesn't happen. You can put them on whichever way you want. Um, the compound's different. You can get a more medium compound or you could stay with the softer one. Um, but we're going to see how they are. Apparently, they're a harder compound than what they had the past couple of years. People have been asking for more durable tires. So the race tomorrow will be kind of a question mark. These guys don't know how these tires are going to work with their setup. So that could be an interesting part. But other than that, that's all I got for Dirty Talk this week. All right. So um, this past weekend, we had Phoenix. Now, I didn't catch much or I didn't catch any of the Xfinity race, but um, I do remember making a comment about Sammy Smith last week that I'm going to rescind a little bit um, <laughs> because I think I think the comment that we were talking about who was or where was somebody going to go, John Hunter or something like that, who is Gibbs going to bring up or something like that. We were talking about Bell. That was what it is. We're like, who's going to who are they going to bring up to replace him? And I said, Sammy Smith. And then dude goes out and wins the race. Go Man, figure. Sure did. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's, I, I didn't catch any of that. So uh, not much to talk about there. I did catch part of the ARCA race and that was an absolute poop show, but we it just, always is. It's ARCA. I was going to say, we just, we just won't get into that. <laughs> but we <laughs> we'll will just, get we'll into, that go. we will get into, it's, it's entertainment at its finest in the worst way. Um, but we're going to talk about the cup series race. So, um, we're going to start with, uh, I'm going to start with my team. Like I said, Payne, Kevin Harvick, um, doing what he does best, getting, you know, showing up at the very end of the race, uh, all of a sudden running into the top three for a long part of the race, um, just runs down Larson after a pit cycle where they uh, pit a little early compared to Kyle Larson and just. Got to Kyle Larson and passed Kyle Larson like no one had passed anyone all day and ran away. Um, now, I'm going to blame this on myself a little bit because I thought about it. And it had probably has nothing to do with me, but I'm going to do it. I was watching the race on my phone, hanging pictures in the house, and it got to be about 20 to go. And I said, Jenny, I'm superseding you. I'm taking the TV. She said, okay. And I turned on the TV and nine laps later, caution. Go figure. Like, I thought about this. I'm like, just, like, don't change the rally cap. Don't not, nothing. Stay right where you're at. Don't change anything. And I changed something, and it ruined the race. So, but caution comes out. Pit strategy was what it was. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out for Kevin, which really stunk. It would have been really cool to see Kevin get that 10th win and join that uh, very elite list of drivers to win 10 races at one track um yeah i mean because nine's not enough I, <laughs> but it's not I 10 mean, i mean listen he has the chance to have 10 and win a championship look i i understand that that might have been his best shot but look kevin harvick even in the years that have Stuart haas has been rough kevin harvick's still been there so with the show of power there i i gotta say i think they kind of like the package. Uh, Briscoe came up through the field. Um, mm -hmm. Almirola, I don't know what the heck happened with his tire. Um, but even um, Ryan Priest looked like he was making a climb there for a little bit. So, yeah. uh, I mean, as bad as they qualified, they ran pretty decent. And, I mean, I got to say this because 
even though people were saying there wasn't a lot of passing going on, look, Harvick started what, like seven or back in the teens, didn't he? His 14th. Like, like, yeah. All race. He methodically worked his way up. Sure, it wasn't fast, but all race kept getting closer, 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 and closer. And then he gets to Kyle Larson, and you're like, oh, man, there went his opportunity. He got beside him but couldn't pass him. Larson's on fresher tires. And then Harvick just catches him and blows by him. So, I mean, I'll put it this way. He's got to be the favorite. If he makes it to the Final Four going to Phoenix with a run like that, there's got to – it's got to be some sort of a favorite because, I mean, he caught all the Hendrick cars and blew by them. Yeah. So if if you don't, I mean, I guess these last couple of races at Phoenix, we've had late race cautions. But if that doesn't come out, I mean, he almost has a five-second win. He was three seconds ahead with, you know, about 10 to go. And I could only imagine he was going to pull that out even further. So, yeah. No, it was definitely five seconds. It was definitely five seconds at one point. Um, he was going to win that race, and unfortunately, you know, uh, no bonus. But unfortunately, you know, that's that's racing. You get more of those, it seems like, than you get ones that work your favor. So um, we'll just try again this weekend, which, you know, we'll get to Atlanta in just a bit. Uh, other than that, uh, I thought that the package was better. It, the guys were sliding around a little bit more. I don't, I'm not saying it was great. Um, but Phoenix is what Phoenix is. And I didn't think it was bad. I still would like to see the guys more on the bottom than riding the top. I just, this, this new, I mean, not new configuration so much, but this new style of racing at Phoenix, I just would much prefer to see the guys just ripping the bottom, getting tires, like basically running the line that Harvick is running. I think that's more entertaining to me. I like to see guys fighting for that one to one and a half lanes on the bottom. Cause then you got to uproot guys, you know, see, it's the same thing you have at Bristol. It's the same thing you have at Martinsville. As soon as it becomes two lanes, no, there's not as much action because you don't have to lean on a guy as much. See, I, I like it being two lanes, but the reason why I like it being two lanes is not necessarily mean because it's more passing. I like that you can run the top. I mean, it's usually if you can run the top and you can run the bottom, you got one of the fastest cars there. Um, and that's just not with Phoenix. That's with everywhere. But, you know, I like that you have your Kyle Larson's, your Chase Briscoe's, your, you know, Tyler Reddick's that are going to run the fence. And then you have your Kevin Harvick's. You have, you know, these other guys that methodically work the bottom. And when you get the best combo of those, you have a lot of movement through the field. It just doesn't seem as obvious i mean everyone says no passing but i'm telling you you watch harvick come up through the field and it was like oh another one's gone another one's gone and even listening to people talk about it afterwards they're like man that four car you know he didn't blow your doors off but he worked by you and Mm -hmm. i mean the hendrick cars were out front so there's always something to be said about clean air and when one can run the bottom and one can run the top, they're getting clean air on their noses through the corner. So, yeah, they're going to be fast. They're going to pull away. But to have someone in the middle of the pack come up and catch both of them and pass them with how fast Hendrick's been at the beginning of this year, uh, I mean, that should say something right there. So that that's why I like a two-lane track because, you know, when you get a single-file one, it's not bad depending on where you're at. Like old Bristol, I mean, even Phoenix wouldn't be that bad. Um, 
but I like that. The reason why I like two lanes is because if you get under the leader, he can fend it off. Whereas if it's single one, he could drop back to 15th by the time he gets in line. So it's two styles of racing that could be good. But I mean, like you said, it was Phoenix. Well, you yeah. know, what kind of race are you going to get at Phoenix? This is the kind of race you're going to get at Phoenix. And if, and this is just my opinion, and I'm going to say this on here. I think if you're a true race fan, it's much like Vegas. Vegas wasn't a terrible race. Everybody yeah. just thinks it is because it wasn't, ooh, ah, it's like Phoenix. It wasn't a terrible race. I think it was better than it's been. Sure, we want them slipping and sliding, and that's the part that we're missing. But other than that, long green flag runs, I mean, that's what we want. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the thing that we're missing that we used to have back in the day, people were like, oh, you know, racing is better back in the day. You watch a race, a lot of it's the same. I think the big thing is, like, a lot of racetracks used to be, you know, if they might have had a lane to two lanes. You know, at Michigan, you could run the top, yeah. You know, at California, some of these bigger tracks, you could rip the fence. But we've lost that at some of those tracks because of – there's not enough horsepower to run that high. Right. And then some of these like tracks like Phoenix, like Richmond, Bristol, I mean, they put the banking in that has more to do with it, but you kind of lost that because now all you need to do is just hammer down and you can almost run it wide open, yeah. you know? And yeah. so you like, that's the fastest way around. It's just rip the fence at, at these smaller tracks. And so I think that that's what the difference is. And then you do have these conflicting lines, but I mean, how many slide jobs do you see anymore? You just like, you don't see that. It's nope. just, it's, it's, I think to me, like it's very dependent on the racetrack, but Bristol was better when you had to hunt for the bottom. There was a lane to a lane and a half. The guys who could be on the yellow line were the fastest and you'd get a train of guys because one car is holding them up. And you'd see that for five or six laps. Someone would get mad and then move them. You don't yeah. see that anymore. I mean, we kind of started seeing that top lane where it was so dominant that it was hard to pass. But you still didn't see a whole lot of, like, bump guys out of the way. And then with this car, it's, it's even harder because you bump a guy, they can miss the corner a little bit, downshift, and just truck right on. So, um, you know, I, I think we keep calling for more horsepower. I think that that makes a big difference. Some people have different opinions. Some people want spoiler changes and this and that and the other thing. I think there's a lot of ways to get to where we want to go, but we just need to find the thing that's more economic for the team. And I think it starts with this tire. The tire is just, there's too much, there's too much grip in it. It's too hard, you know, but I, I think one thing with having less horsepower you know, maybe that would give Goodyear, or maybe if we if we give less pressure on the tires, it gives Goodyear the peace of mind to go out there and build a tire that's, you know, where with more horsepower and more time of sliding the tires, it's likely to fail. So maybe if we go the opposite way, you can take a tire that wears out more and has less grip. So maybe there's something in that angle. So there's a lot of different combinations to hit it. I don't think it's just one thing that's going to change it. We saw it this weekend. We took some things away downforce wise and it helped, but I still don't think it's where we want to be, but 
yeah, all in all, to rate the race, I thought it was fine. There's usually not a ton of caution at Phoenix, I don't think. Um, it tends to be a race that can go long green flag laps. So and that's what you saw. Um, yeah. But just would have, you, wish it would have uh, ended up with Hendrick, or with uh, us winning. Yeah. With can you kind of explain what happened with Almirola's tire? I, it just It was a loose wheel. That that's all the what because to me it looked like the rim broke off. Well, so I the way I explained it to I, I'm not 100% sure um, if this is the case, but you know we're used to having those steel wheels, steel wheels, you know, welded very tight welds. Um, so when we have an issue, the wheel would just warp. I mean, you would see it come off, and the bolt holes would just be worn out. They'd have like oblong shapes that are about that right. big. It would just be like the wheels smack or the studs smacking back and forth against them. Um, with this wheel, I don't think it's the same. Um, so when you have a wheel on there, obviously it's just one center location and it's shaking like this. Aluminum is not as strong. So in my mind, it's not out of the, the realm of possibility that the wheel was shaking and it just broke the aluminum. You see, and so the wheel yeah. broke because the nut had backed out. And I talked with the guy who changed his tires for that. And he said, he said, leaving the right side, he was like, no, no, no. But they looked at it and everything looked like it checked out fine on the, the video. So um, they let it go. He ran for about 20 laps, which being, being a tire changer, if you were like, I don't know, on the old car, five to 10 laps, you knew. <laughs> You're going to get your answer very quickly. And mm -hmm. so it went for a while, and, and then all of a sudden it was an issue. So um, it definitely was loose from what I, the people I talked to. And I think that's my theory to it. It's, and maybe it, was, it had something to do with, you know, the, it, it broke something initially. And then when it hit the wheel, it had enough impact to rip it out entirely. So that's that's my theory to it. I could be totally wrong, but I think I think having an aluminum wheel makes a huge difference when you have that much so like torque on the, the so, wheel. So let me ask you: Was the penalty warranted for that? Because now, like, I get you know with Truex, his whole wheel came off. The lug nut wasn't on. They fell off on the track. Hundred percent get that. This was on for twenty laps. And then the rim broke off. You know what I mean? So if the rim doesn't break, does the tire fall off? Probably not. Maybe he gets a flat tire, but that doesn't happen, at least in my opinion. So does that warrant a penalty due to the fact well, that the rim – I mean, I know they called it one, but is that – I mean, does that even make sense? I think, I think you could make a case um, internally and say uh, – that no, that that did not come off because of the, the lug nut that came off because it hit the wall and the wheel failed. I think you could make that argument. I also don't think NASCAR is in a position right now of, of giving a crap about it. It's like, hey, that wheel came off and we're going to just, regardless of whether or not it had anything to do with it, it's enough for us to say, Something happened there. 
and we're going to penalize you for it because we cannot have deals coming off. And if, if we're wrong on the backside of this, if we find out that it had everything to do with a blown tire and then a wheel failure from hitting the wall, then we'll apologize later. But in the moment, we're going to say, the wheel came off. We don't care. You know, and I think that that's kind of the mentality that they're going to go for. So, uh, which I, I'm going to back that up a little bit. Like you start getting into, we start getting into this thing like years ago with the, the springs. Oh, we had a spring mm-hmm. failure. Okay. We understand. And it's like penalty. No, we had a spring failure. Okay. And eventually they went, oh, we had a spring failure. Too bad. Stop bringing springs that fail. That's right. on you now. So I, I, I get where they're coming from in this. Like we're not going to tolerate. Yeah, so, I just I don't know how. I just don't know how. Like for the pit crew, you review the tape and everything looks fine. So well, I, I don't. I don't know how. I mean, I know there can still happen where there's a loose wheel and everything looks fine, but I mean, everything looks fine. It's not like you shortened something up or did something intentional here. Like everything looks fine on the review. It held on for for twenty laps. I mean, you can you can watch a camera, and like you can like visually see and hear, because there's a rhythm, and you can kind of, especially when it was five lugs, you could hear like good, oh, good, yeah. good, good, good. Like you could hear that one or two that's like, good, good. and and there's not, it's not the same pitch, and so mm-hmm. you know even with this this new system, you you can hear. Instead of the ugga dugga, ugga dugga, it's like okay. Yeah. So you can yeah. you can hear a difference and go, I don't know. And they're supposed to, they were always supposed to, but I don't know if it ever materialized because they kind of did away with it really quick. Um, when I was changing tires, when they went to this uh supplied system, there was supposed to be data hooked to it to tell you the torque. Like it would read right. torque and they could send it. It actually was initially supposed to send the information to NASCAR. And so they could immediately tell, <clears throat> hey, you had <clears throat> this many wheels or this many lug nuts that read this much torque. It's more than likely loose. Come back down. <clears throat> that never materialized while I was changing tires, so I don't know if it is on this new system. But uh, te- some teams actually have that technology already. So, But they, they do have evidence where they can look at it and say, yeah or no. Um, just obviously this time they were wrong. But other than Eric, you know, Eric, this is a track that he usually, I mean, it should play into his favor. Um, didn't have a great race. Didn't have a great, great qualifying. But, I mean, we should have won that race. Uh, Briscoe was going to finish, I want to say, fifth? Because he took four tires. I think he was going to be right around fifth or sixth, maybe. Um, and Priest was going to be 15th, but... Um, from where we've been for the first few weeks of the year to go fifth, seventh, and 12th, you got to kind of be happy about that a little bit. Yeah. Huge improvement. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll take it. Now we're going to Atlanta and we just, for some reason, we are not very good when it comes to this speedway stuff. Uh, I think last year, the first race there, Eric was in great position to win a race and he, uh, I think I'm not sure if he was, yeah, he was either leading or he was second, but inside the front row. And when he went, he didn't go and just like, ah, and got turned into the grass and wrecked. So 
<clears throat> we'll see how it goes. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these racetracks that really played in Kevin Harvick's favor have kind of gone away. <laughs> you know, Atlanta yeah. used to be a, an ace in the hole for Kevin, and uh, they they kind of took that away from him. So, but it'll definitely be an entertaining race. Let's let's step back on the Phoenix real quick. Talk about the penalties. So biggest penalty issued for an organization in the history of NASCAR as each of the four Hendrick keys get hit with a hundred thousand dollar fine, a hundred owner and driver points for the three teams without Chase Elliott, obviously because Chase Elliott's not there. Nine team does receive a hundred owner points against them. uh, And each team gets 10 playoff points deducted. Um, The same also rings true for the 31 car for uh, Justin Haley, who I'm very concerned about the uh, colleagues so far, because other than when AJ Allmendinger has wrecked, I couldn't even tell you when Justin Haley's been in a race this year, but we're going to get to them in just a minute for Hendrick. My opinion, is it a big penalty? Yes. I also see the numbers that come across for these sponsorships. It's $400,000, a lot of money. Yes. But I feel like they could also just sign one sponsor. They could bring one partner in and they could recoup all of that money. So do I think it's a huge deal for them on money? No, you plan on having these things happen. Uh, they'll get over that very quickly, I, I believe. And as far as the points, um, no one gives a crap about owner points. I'm gonna, not going to lie. It's not, it doesn't do a lot for you as far as pay. Um, it's nice to have, but generally speaking, the owner points goes to the, the team that wins the championship anyway. So it's, it really doesn't have huge bearing. It could be more impactful um, should Chase Elliott come back and potentially win. But I don't think anyone's really going to care about that. And as far as the points, uh, well, William Byron's already in the playoffs. So he, it, he cares, but doesn't care. You know, yeah. Um, it it'll hurt him in his chance to win the uh, regular season championship, but um, he's locked in the playoffs, and right now he's kind of reset to not quite zero. I think he's won a couple stages, so he'll not he'll already have a couple of playoff points. It takes Larson down, Bowman down. Um, Bowman now from where first I think, to twenty third. Yeah, I think where this really hurts. Honestly, because does anybody think that Kyle Larson isn't going to win a race by the time the playoffs roll around? No, Kyle Larson's going to win a race. Absolutely going to win a race. Um, will Alex Bowman win a race? I mean, he's shown speed. Is he the third guy yet right now? Yeah. Uh, maybe fourth if Chase Elliott's in there. But he's still been a top 10 guy pretty consistently. Do I think they can hit on it one week and – uh, pop out at the end of a race like they typically do yeah he's a one win a year kind of guy typically um so yeah i think he he has a great shot at winning a race anyway but, i'm not really I mean, worried about him making the playoffs he's definitely been consistent he was the point leader until this points penalty he was yeah. the point leader so, so i'm I mean, i'm not worried about alex bowman i'm not worried about kyle larson i'm not even that worried about chase elliott Because I think when he comes back, if he really is only out six weeks, like they said, six to seven, eight weeks, do I think he can come back and win a race by the time they get to the the playoffs? Absolutely, I think Chase Elliott will win a race. So I think each of Hendrick's teams make it to the playoffs. 
I think where this input this impacts more is as we get into the playoffs because Kyle Larson, I think, will be fine. Chase Elliott, huh? You're not free riding to the final four this year. Well, there's that, but think about this William Myron, typically, as of the last few years, now we'll have to see how it goes this year, but William Byron wins a race early and then you kind of start to lose him in the summer. And as you get into the playoffs, he tends to fade the longer the year goes on. Now he'll still pop up and, but his consistency seems to wane. As far as what I see, you see him competing for wins less. So I, in my opinion, I think this really has impact for him and Alex Bowman when it gets down into the playoffs. And if they have a bad race, they can't lean on playoff points that they've accrued. And now those playoff points that they were going to have could hurt them on the backside because you, you can't really count on them just to go, hey, they have a great shot to win one of these three races. I just don't see that. Um, the deeper they get into the playoffs, I think that could be a, a potential issue for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I 100% agree. Um, I actually heard an interesting stat about Willie B. I think it was like six of his eight wins or something like, or four of his six wins or something was all in the first few months of the year. Yep. Um, we so, think Homestead, so, um, Atlanta, and Martinsville last year, and then these two wins this year. I think the yeah. only one that came later in the year, if I'm not mistaken, is Daytona. I might be missing one there. But Yeah, I mean, his he, he would have won Darlington last year if, if Logano didn't move him, but it was like after that he went, ew. Yep. So, I yep. mean, they're riding high right now. They're doing pretty good. Um, let's see if the uh, – new crew chief for four weeks is going to, you know, do anything. I understand they're appealing, but they're already letting their crew chief sit out, which I think smart is, I mean, chances of you winning the appeal are very slim to none. So right. you might as well get your crew chief started now instead of waiting another week. Um, so uh, I think I don't, I don't really see them winning. Uh, I do want to try and figure out how actual technical technical this is because it kind of it kind of goes back to last year. Brad Kozlowski, he got hit with the same penalty for modifications to things. Um, and I think Michael McDowell did uh, later in the year or somebody else got hit with it too. Um, the real thing is, is if Hendrick is actually right that these pieces are coming in and they're not fitting the car correctly and NASCAR's like, eh, you know, do what you can to make it fit because you got to use this piece. And then they make a fit, and then NASCAR's like, well, yeah, but you can't do that. Um, it's kind of like a setup for failure. Now, I know last year, I think it was Penske and RFK, they made adjustments to the wheel. NASCAR was like, yeah, hey, you can't do that. And then they were like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, you can. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. And yeah. then everybody. <laughs> Actually, hey, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. And then everybody did it the next week. So um, if there is a manufacturer issue where these parts are not coming in the same, which I can't even say, you know, no two parts are going to be exactly the same because when teams were making them in their race shop, they could almost put them to a T the exactly the same. Sure. They might be off by a smidge, but that's about it. Apparently these parts oh. are coming in. So like different that like it doesn't fit the car or it's, you could look at it and be like that. That's not right. And 
I mean, like you've said on here multiple times, even though people were saying the part shortage is out the window, that's not necessarily true. And you have to use these parts. So what do they do? Yeah. I mean, I, I'll just give you an example. I mean, I, I've seen our parts come through that we manufacture. Now, this is our machine part more so, but I see a lot of tolerances down to like 500,000 of an inch. You'll see parts come in, and I'm not going to name vendors, but you'll see parts come in noticeably different. Right. Visibly different. You can't see 500,000 of an inch. You right. can see variants in some of these. Now, you know, we got people like Tony Gibson who will immediately be like, oh, we're not getting dinged on this. Hey, NASCAR. And like, the, yeah. you know, you, you'll see, you'll see flags be right. Like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, right. so this, that's what leads me to believe that maybe there's more to this than just that, because I know teams do talk with NASCAR, the guys there and say, uh, hey, whoa, whoa, wait, what's going on with this? We're not getting a penalty on this. Tell, tell, talk right. to us about that. So I right. see that. I think that it's it's more to it than that. Um, I also have other theories to it, but I, I am not inclined to. I saw, I've seen something happen this week um, that would give me an idea of, of what a potential issue could be, but it's pure speculation, and then I, it involves a couple different things, and I don't want to speculate publicly about it. But, um, yeah, I, I, th I think something was definitely more fishy than just – it was a manufacturer issue. Uh, and but, I would still wouldn't be surprised to see, I would not be surprised to see this get turned back around if I'm right. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Well, uh, I feel like if it does get turned back around, I feel like everyone's going to be like, because it's Hendrick. Because again, RFK was hit pretty bad last year. You know, Brad had to make the comeback. Um, Hitting all four teams, I'm not surprised that it's the biggest penalty for team history. I mean, it was all four cars. They're not a two-car yeah. team. They're not a one-car team. It was all four cars. So, yeah, I'm not surprised. I, I now, knew when. What is weird about that is that, typically speaking, you would put it on one car, maybe two, and be right. like, well, if they ping us for this, the other ones right. don't get hit. So, right. but it was all four. And it was all four. Like Josh Berry's car would have been the perfect one to experiment with this week because right. you were going to get dinged less. Now, obviously, it's right. still impactful, but I think that I think the bigger impact on this comes to colleague because they're a much smaller team. It's Negative still a hundred thousand dollars. points. Yes, Justin ha and Justin Haley hasn't shown speed. So I think it's more concerning. I feel like the other Hendrick guys have a good shot at qualifying and just winning races. I don't know that Justin Haley does. He has not shown me enough this year to say, yeah, I think they can come out and knock it out. The only thing that they have going for them is that they're Chevy. And Chevy's been the manufacturer to, to beat this year. But, but I think that that and the penalty, the money penalty, uh, I think that that's going to – I think that really might have ruined Justin's year. So – uh, yeah, a little bit. Negative 49 points. I mean, like Junior It's said, hard to come over. It, we all have more points than Justin Haley does right now. I mean, that that's yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty bad. We haven't even run a race and we have more points than him. Yeah. I I mean that to me, that's that's overkill. 
And I get you're trying to, you know, make the penalties harsh so people don't do them. But negative 49 points, why couldn't you just stop it? Say, hey, we're taking all your points from you. Just, you're back at zero. Yeah. <laughs> just I be mean, like, yeah. hey, um, when you score these points, we're just we're just going to leave you at, point, at zero until you score these points. You know, yeah. it's just so much worse. Yeah. I mean, he's – I mean, even if he wins, yeah, he's still in the negative point range if he doesn't get – uh, if he doesn't get stage wins, he's still negative. Yeah. So, like, is there a rule in NASCAR if you have negative points and you win, can you be in the final 16? I, you know, I, I don't <laughs> well, know. I think he'll get out of the negative before that. But I would um, hope you so. Know, it, at the very least, this year they took away the, you know, the t- you have to be in the top 30 thing. So if they if they're uh-huh. able to go out and steal one, great. Um, but you know, you saw it last year with Brad Keselowski. So I just, I'm, they were, they're having about the same speed as Keselowski had last year. So I just don't right. see it happening this year. I think right. their, their year pretty much got ruined. But uh, one more penalty to talk about Denny Hamlin gets a penalty for stupid. Not for He gets a penalty. It's not, he didn't get a penalty for doing this. He got a penalty for admitting what he did, which stupid. was. Basically say, oh, I'm not going to finish good. Hey, Ross, you're coming with me and turn into Ross Chastain. Let me just say this. Denny just did. I get he has been wrecked by Ross Chastain several times. I don't know what their beef was because Ross had some issues with some other guys, but not like Denny. So I think Denny has some kind of responsibility in this. But you wrecked the guy, and then you admitted you wrecked the guy. What did you expect? So do I think that his penalty is very well warranted? Yes. I'm starting to like Denny Hamlin less and less as it goes on. I think he races like a moron more and more. And he taught his podcast. I listened to it so I can complain about it. He is so his, he just sounds so self-enveloped. It is insane. Kind of took you a long time to figure that one out. Yeah. But I just I, – I think what he did – I think what he did was – for all the time he talked all this crap on Ross Chastain and then to race like that, I, I, just, I can't agree with it. I think it was dumb. But, and I think it's ahead. even dumber because Brad Keselowski, your pick, outran Denny Hamlin for most of the race. I was finally in a position. I'm like, ha-ha, I'm going to steal this one. And then he ruined it for me, that dumb – Mother effort, and you know what? He hit him, and then he went right back after. And and you know the funny part was that Ross still beat him. I mean, like yes, he could he couldn't even beat Ross when he did it. No, no, he didn't. Uh, he finished twenty. They finished twenty third and twenty fourth. Yeah, I think Hamlin, Ross, Hamlin was right for him. I thought Ross beat him. No, because then he went back into turn three and drove back through his bumper and turned him back up into the wall. Uh, like I, he didn't I, just I, he didn't just give him one. He gave him the business again. I, well, I knew that, but I thought Ross came back and still beat him. I thought Ross no, was twenty third. No, I think, no, I think it was twenty third, twenty fourth. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah, just dumb. But listen, I have no like. I don't want to say I even have any problem with what he did. I mean, look, the fine that they gave William Byron last year for wrecking someone was like. It was what fifty points, fifty thousand dollars. He appealed it. They gave him a hundred thousand dollar fine, gave him his points back. So if you did that, you kind of kind of have to do that with Hamlin. Um, he, you know, 
I'm kind of surprised he went out there and was like, hey, I did this. But at the same time, he didn't wreck Ross. Even though he got into him and cost him a bunch of spots, he didn't wreck him. They both ended up finishing. So, I mean, what are we going to turn this into? Like, it, it, I feel like if you're going to, you know, penalize Hamlin for I this. Mean, he sandwiched that, him into the wall. He, what he did was effectively the same thing. But listen, they both finished. Here, here's the thing. If you're going to start saying, and you know I've been an advocate for this, if you're going to start saying that that warrants a fine and point deduction, then we're going to jump back to last year when everybody was booting everyone out of the way for wins. No, 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 because that is intentional whether you say it or not. You can, you know it's intentional. You're booting everyone out of the way for wins. Okay, so now that we're going to do this with Hamlin, who just ruined his race and Ross's, but didn't wreck anybody, right? Now when you boot someone out of the way to take a position, well, you did that intentionally. You ruined their race. So now you get fined. You get points deducted. That's how stupid this is. And I don't care if he went on a podcast and he was like, yeah, I was going to have a – I was going to get freight trains, so I figured, hey, you're coming with me. I mean – What's the what's different than that than being at Atlanta this week, being the leader and a freight train coming un- underneath you and you throwing a block and stalling that whole line out and allowing a line on the outside to go past you? It's the same thing. You ruin everybody on the bottom's race, your race, their race, everybody's. You make contact with people. They're all making it. It's the same thing. You The difference is publicly coming out. And you know I was a big proponent of if you Joey Logano or William Byron to, we- to win a race, I know. That, that should be thrown out. What I'm saying is, like, I, I'm not saying that what Denny Hamlin did was, well, I think it was stupid because I don't think well, he was yeah. going to finish that bad. But right. do I think that that was necessarily worth a, a fine and a penalty? No, I don't think so. But then going on to a podcast and being like, well, I just threw a little hissy fit, but, you know, paraphrasing, obviously. But I threw a little hissy right. fit because we weren't going to finish good. And I saw Ross, and I was just like, well, I'm going to take one of mine with you. Boom. Like that, that to me, going out and publicly saying, yeah, I intentionally wrecked him. There you but, go. I think that they pen- yeah. they penalized Bubba for doing the same thing, coming out and saying, yeah, I intentionally wrecked him. That is where the penalty is. Is like, oh, now it's yeah. like, guys, you can wreck somebody. Just don't tell them. Tell people yeah. you did. But the, the severity of the two incidents are way different. They're way, way different. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I give you that, and that's why Denny Hamlin's not getting suspended. But I, I don't think, I don't think he should be fine. I mean, I think this should be a thing that continues. Their rivalry needs well, to go on. I think, I think part of this is NASCAR coming out and saying, "Guys, knock it off." But we're, but we're done that's here. Not, that's not what we want. We actually, as race fans, we want to see. Every time the one and the 11 are together, it's like, oh, what's going to happen this time? You know, and then he sat there and talked about it afterwards. Ross was like, oh, I guess I deserve that. And he was like, yeah, I think you did. They talked it out and apparently they called it a truce. That's just his words. That's not hearing it from Ross. So we don't know. Um, it, it very well might not be. But then he went on to say that they talked after Gateway and they were perfectly fine after that. But the actions after that didn't prove that either. Oh. So. Well, but Ross did wreck Denny earlier this year, too. So then it was kind of rekindled. Right. That's where it comes from. But 
like last year at Gateway after Ross wrecked Hamlin the way he did, where was the the fine and everything for Hamlin after he was doing all that the unsafe moves on the track to block Ross and do all that stuff? Where was that at? Because he was doing the same thing then. That yeah, I don't think he came back out and publicly was like, "Yeah, I was doing this to him." Well, that's I think that I that's mean, that's the whole difference is like coming out and just saying like, "Yeah, I did that to him intentionally." That's well, where NASCAR well, stepping in and being like, "Stop doing that! Did, don't tell people he, you're doing it." He did say that he was he was messing with him intentionally, messing with him, but not wrecking him. He didn't wreck that's, him. They both finished. That's that's what I'm, yeah he he went he laid off the wheel. And just went ah, and sandwiched him in the wall. It happened. He, he just got... didn't get turned around. That's the thing. But yeah. he, he did. He sandwiched him in the wall. He pancaked him in just about as good as he could. So if you want to define it not as a wreck, but what he did was he saw he saw one car and went, "I'm going to well, hurt your day." Well, let let me ask you: if the checkered flag wasn't be, being flown, that incident right there would that have warranted a caution? I want to say yes because I feel like that that was enough damage that there probably was debris from one of the cars out there. That I would say, I mean, maybe not like hit the button right away kind of caution, but maybe a. Uh, but see, like, since we after have, the the field passed, maybe since we have since we have this question about it right there, that just tells me you didn't wreck him. I mean. You look at what Bubba did to Larson, he flat out. That's wrecked. yeah, to- mean, totally different. Totally different. Totally right. different. Right. And I mean, this whole thing, I I find it very I don't know. I feel like it's childish on NASCAR's part to be like, hey, you did something. Let's I think you. it's childish. I think it's childish on Denny Hamlin to well, race I, like I an mean, idiot because he threw a hissy fit. If you know, if he just said if even if he would have just been like, well. I got one back on Ross instead of, well, I That's knew we weren't going to finish good. Yeah, No, 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 no. I, I, but I'm saying, I'm not saying that they would change that. I'm saying in my mind, if you say, yeah, I just, I kind of, I saw him there. I got a little angry because I knew I needed to get him back. And I was just like, I'm taking my opportunity. I would have been more okay with, well, I knew we weren't going to finish good anyway. And I saw him out there. So I'm taking him with me. He threw a hissy fit and he wrecked somebody because he was mad. That's what it boils down to. And it, that's that's yeah, the, he threw a hissy fit. Denny Hamlin but, threw a hissy fit because he wasn't going to get the finish that he wanted because, and he did it kind of passively blame the crew chief for putting him out there on two tires. But it, he kind of went, well, we, you know, we shouldn't have made that call. He shouldn't have made that call. That wasn't the, the best call. We should have went uh, for four tires in our situation. But if this so is Kevin Harvick, if this is Kevin Harvick or Kyle Larson on the outside of Hamlin, does he do the same thing? Oh no, I so, would I would not imagine so. But he it's so, it's he threw a hissy fit and saw Ross and decided to be like when when. So I have no sympathy for him. If it would well, have been I Kevin mean, Harvick, I would have had less sympathy for him. I mean, at, at the same time, it's not like he did himself a favor. He kind of shot himself in the foot so yes like he got what he deserved he got what he deserved yeah like even when he tries to do it to ross he can't do it to ross 
What's well, like I Kevin mean, trying to wreck people? You can't wreck people to save his life. So, yeah, seen it a bunch of times. Yeah. But okay, we, we we've been talking. We we're gonna just keep going back and forth on this. But um, anyway, so those are all the penalties from Phoenix. Let's move on to Atlanta. Wrap this one up. So Atlanta, uh, we're gonna have to see if it plays out the same way it did last year. If the pavement is still fresh enough that they can ride around like that, it sounds like eventually maybe even very quickly, they're not going to be able to ride around in the packs like this just because the grip's going to go down, which could be very entertaining. <laughs> yeah. If you're, we'll back to to bit, if you're still able to ride in a pack in a bit, it, you know, when that car flips and loses grip, you're going to see some very interesting racing. Um, right. But uh, it's turned Atlanta into one of our more exciting races. So Jordan, I think that this is going to be a crash shoot, but um. Who do you expect to see in victory lane on Sunday? Uh, wait a minute. It's my turn to pick. Yeah, you know. I Jordan's on it, a little bit of a win streak here, three <laughs> weeks in a row. I, I find it kind of odd that, the, you know, our points updates haven't come out like they used to do weekly when you were winning. Well, we're working one less day, so there's one less day for me to focus on doing it. And our lunches are shorter, so I don't sit there and, and do random <laughs> stuff at lunch anymore. Um but I definitely need to get back on that. But anyway, uh, yeah. So who do I th- – I'm going to pick somebody off the wall. Damn it. Let's see. What? You think I I'm going to pick – No, 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 no. See, who the, – the person – because it would be the one place I think we would want to pick him because of his showing last year uh, would be Corey LaJoy. And I'm just not going to do that because I saw him run very well two races last year, and I just don't think he's going to back it up. I think maybe he'll run well at times, and then I think he'll get caught up in some crap. So I'm actually going to – I'm going to go with the Ford camp um, because they showed a lot of speed in Daytona, but I'm going to go with Chris Buescher. Okay. That's not not really off the wall for a play race. Yeah, well, you know, I could just go with one of BJ McLeod's guys, but or Rick Ware's guys, but uh, just. Eh. Well, I am gonna go with Corey LaJoy. That's that's who I've been planning on going with. I, I I've been on I've been on the fence and off the fence about like he had good showings there last year. Yeah. You know, do I if I think it's gonna happen again, it's probably not. Everybody's kind of expecting him to do it, so. You know, I'm just that, getting I'm getting Kyle Larson in Vegas a couple weeks ago vibes like he's the guy to pick. You need to pick him because he's going to be good. Everything's lining up for him. And then five laps in. So I'm getting the same yeah. vibes. But I, yeah, we'll yeah. go Busher and uh, Corey LaJoy. So, yeah, um, I've won a couple weeks here. So I have, I think I have a little bit of leeway. I can do yeah, it. I need, I need to get I need to get back on track. So, uh, so you know, but the same thing happened last year, I think. I think I won Daytona and then you won one and then i went on a tear so i think but yeah anyway uh that is this week another cool little thing uh jensen button driving rick ware's car prepared by us super cool i actually got to meet him in the shop the other day it was really cool he came up i was actually talking with a guy by the car about something and he came up and shook our hands which is you don't realize how cool that is um because drivers don't do that. They're either like really snobby and about themselves and doing that, or they're really shy and, and they're kind of like 
they're more afraid of you than you are of them kind of thing. <coughs> Cole Custer. So. Yeah. Kyle Larson. Uh, yeah. Like, like say, say real quick. Cole Custer, I think Cole Custer's really, I mean, I've been around him for almost a decade now. He's cool. He comes in the shop and walks around just like one of us. Um, but yeah, definitely very, very, uh, very quiet mannered guy. Eric Amarilla, guy that's going to come around and shake your hand um, every now and then. He, he just comes around and, and just tells us he appreciates it. And that's rare. Like those kind of things are very, very rare in motorsports. So for Jensen Button, who is a Formula One world champion from 2009, uh, to come around and just be like, hey, you know, nice to meet you. You know, thanks for, for putting the effort in. That's really cool. That is very, very cool. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing him get in that car. And, you know, it's first foray into it, so I don't expect too much. But uh, it's, it's just cool experience seeing these other drivers come into our world and just want to see what it's about. Yeah, I, I got to say, I think the coolest thing that was released, I guess, yesterday is Kevin Harvick's running the 29 one yes. more time. That's uh, so cool. I thought that was awesome. I was so happy to see that. Um, listening to what he said he had to go through to do it, you know, with contact and Childress and everything, I think that's awesome. I'm glad they're going to do it for, you know, Wilkesbury and call today or Wilkesboro yeah. call today. Um, cool. I think that's awesome. Actually, w- one of our marketing people came or licensing people came up to me yesterday and was asking. Uh, because we're closed on Fridays, but I do have a guy in there for shipping and receiving. And he was like, hey, do you have somebody in here for shipping and receiving tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, Corey will be here. He's like, so he'll be in the shop because the and big announcement coming out tonight. Um, we have some shirts coming in for tomorrow. We need to get them. So he's like, so I don't need to camp out. Like, yeah, but I didn't know what the announcement was. And so then when it came out, I'm like, oh, that's cool. So real excited yeah. to see that. I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if you knew because you had, I didn't know that one. No, we did. I didn't know about that one. Um, I do get to see some really cool stuff. And, you know, sometimes I might, on, you know, even though we're not supposed to, Jordan might get uh, some inside information five minutes before, because we usually find out right beforehand anyway. So about the time that it's breaking, I'm texting. But, uh, yeah, other than that, like, I don't post it on Facebook and let everyone else know. And you guys know by now. Yeah. So don't tell each other. Trust but, me. Yeah, it, super, uh, super cool. Yeah. One, once we find out about it, it don't go anywhere else. So yeah. it stays here. I just, I, I thought the, the 29 is super cool for All Star Race. And yeah. All right. So that's, uh, that's Racer Radio for this week. So I hope everyone enjoys this weekend Atlanta with the Speedway style racing. Trucks and Xfinity have a doubleheader tomorrow, Cup on Sunday, and F1 is going back to Saudi Arabia to do the Jeddah Street Circuit, which we've done twice, and it's produced very good, entertaining racing. So we'll have to and see how this one plays out. You mean to watch for the race for a second because Max was fastest in practice by a long shot. So, yeah. Yep, Ferrari. yep. Ferrari's already changing power units because uh, they're Ferrari already. So good luck, guys. It's I'm sorry, it's over. 2023 World Champion Max Verstappen. All right, well, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. So thanks, y'all. We'll talk to you later.
All right, later, guys.